0: Hello, and welcome back to Bite Size Crypto, where the wallets are hot and the scams are cold, or wait, vice versa. Today, I want to talk about what decentralized finance is, otherwise known as DeFi. This is a term that is thrown around nonstop, and it essentially means a lot of what we've been talking about in this podcast, but it's just spoken about in kind of odd terms, and so people often don't know exactly how to address it. So, What is DeFi? DeFi essentially refers to Bitcoin, the blockchain, Web3, all of the things we've been talking about. But it specifically stands for decentralized finance. It refers specifically to the fact that wallets and the holding of wallets, the holding of crypto, allows for the removal of a middleman the bank. And so uh, transfers can happen instantaneously, wallet to wallet, using DeFi. Uh, So it essentially stands for the new kind of finance that cryptocurrency and the blockchain has invented. So why do we use the term DeFi? Well, not only does this system remove the control that banks and institutions have on money, like, for example, if you want to wire money to Ukraine, Using Western Union, you have to go through them and there's fees, et cetera. I mean, if you want to send it straight through a wallet, it's instantaneous, right? So, um, you know, why is DeFi so attractive in terms of being a new financial product, in terms of being a service? Well, here are the attractions of DeFi. First of all, you can get rid of the middleman and the fees that middleman poses. Secondly, You have total control, so you can hold your money in a wallet. You can hold this in a hot wallet, in a cold wallet, instead of having it held in a bank, which for some is a really big plus. Uh, Third, um, anyone with an internet connection can connect with a wallet. Um, You know, you don't need any type of approval to pass any tests. Anyone can play if you're a person, and sometimes (laughs) even if you're a bot, And finally, it takes seconds or minutes, depending on what chain you're on. If you're in Ethereum, it might take minutes. But like if you're on Solana, it could take seconds to transfer money from wallet to wallet. And so DeFi, decentralized finance, has become a massive component of our economy. And off of DeFi, you will see all sorts of things like stablecoins, like software built on it, hardware built on it that enables the development of applications, infrastructure, regulation, all of these things. um, uh, Talk about how DeFi has has burst into the world and what exactly DeFi means. So now let's talk about DeFi financial products and what that means. So something you're going to hear a lot in the DeFi world is something called P2P or peer-to-peer peer to peer essentially also means removing the middleman like the the you know transfer mechanism a bank etc um and just sending money from one person to another it's a core premise behind defi it's two parties agreeing simply to exchange money goods or services without a third party involved so um you know a good way to think about this is for example how do you get a loan so normally if you go to a bank and you want to get a loan you would go to a lender, you would apply for one, you'd fill out a ton of forms, you might need to personally sign for it, et cetera. And you'd pay interest and in services, and there would be a lot kind of chopped out of that for the middleman. But in DeFi, basically, you would use a, you know, there's a D-app or a decentralized finance application. You would enter your loan needs. Um, maybe you would be algorithmically sorted or organized into a series of peers that might be able to lend to you. And then you would agree to some simplistic terms with just another person, not a bank. And you would go ahead. And here's the best part. The transaction is recorded in the blockchain. So the transparency of the blockchain, the fact that everyone can see all the transactions on every block, this works for you. It's very hard to scam people when you've had to actually pony up money in a series of transactions. It's almost like a credit report. It basically means that you have to act in good faith. So let's say you've applied for a loan. You would receive your loan after the consensus mechanism or the chain or, you know, whatever the smart contract essentially verifies that loan. Then it basically becomes a contract between two people. The lender begins collecting payments, you make payments, etc. DeFi can also refer to currency. So uh, various different cryptocurrencies are used for transaction. We've talked about tokens and meme coins and all sorts of different currencies. As these technologies develop, DeFi is the world that they sit under. But most of DeFi revolves around a concept called a stablecoin, uh, this is interesting because we've just seen one of the stable coins in the world, Terra depeg recently in twenty twenty two and it caused quite a lot of chaos. Stable coins are essentially cryptocurrencies that are backed by an entity like the u s dollar or something considered to be stable, like bonds. They are pegged to that entity they are pegged to fiat, you know, like a dollar or like the euro, and so therefore they're not supposed to depeg they're supposed to stay. <laughs> stable, and sometimes they don't, which is interesting. So let's talk about smart contracts, which is the the third piece that that comes up a lot in DeFi, and it's really worth a look. So what are they and why should we care about them? We talked about how Bitcoin, when it was created, was the first original chain, and it was basically blocks of transactions back to back. It was just uh, transactions everywhere. A gave, you know, B to C, and C uh, took away X from Y, you know. Um, so smart contracts are essentially NFTs, or when we began sticking files into these blocks of transactions. But they're a little more than that too. So in a decentralized world like the one we're in, where mathematical computations, you know, make up mining and nodes and essentially generate the blockchain, a smart contract is is essentially a self-executing agreement that happens peer-to-peer. It's two people agreeing to something without a middleman. And smart contracts are awesome. They generally exist to remove paperwork, to remove intermediaries, to remove fees, um, and they create a digital agreement, a contract where one party inputs a number of predetermined conditions. The other party goes out and fulfills those conditions. What is the real value of smart contracts other than these these elements of them making things simpler and cheaper? Well, they uh, have wide-ranging uses, right? I mean, you can buy a house instantaneously without all the paperwork using a smart contract. You can instantly transfer money into a war zone like people have been doing with Ukraine. Um, wide-ranging uses include, uh, supply chains, um, you know, lending protocols, stable coins, uh, even derivatives, decentralized exchanges. We can use these for insurance. We can use them for prediction markets, for betting and gambling, um, digital asset transfers. I mean, there's just a million different ways that smart contracts remove middlemen, bring down costs, and make things simpler. Um, There's currently over $20 billion in total value locked up in DeFi smart contracts right now. I mean, um, this may seem like a lot. It's actually Pretty early, it's going to get a lot bigger because DeFi is still sort of in its infancy. So it's blowing into a mass adoption area industry. Venture capitalists are racing after it, trying to invest as fast as possible. And it's becoming a norm. Now, um, cryptocurrencies and decentralized applications, called dApps for short, they function using smart contract code, right, to facilitate exchanges of goods, services, NFTs, data, funds, whatever. Um, while users of these are able to rely on these transactions, right, um, dApps have to use these smart contracts, right, to ensure that everything is done above board. In a nutshell, what's really happening at the bottom of this is just two people agreeing to something together. Now, what are the issues with doing something like this? Because there's a lot of things that, that are really good about this, but there's a lot of things that are scary. In a decentralized uh, mechanism like a Spark contract, uh, you know, data is being processed, which will have to be verified, right? So um, DeFi users often require access to reliable price feeds this is why a stablecoin is so important right being pegged to something with actual value um there's actually uh platforms called data oracles uh one of these is is band protocol for example and these allow for dapps or decentralized applications to benefit from smart contracts uh using data from trusted sources right um, everything that can be done to make smart contracts safer is being done because the potential for adoption of them is, is almost limitless, be it across government or real estate or, or otherwise. However, when you look at crypto in general, it's a deregulated field. So if, for example, two people put together a smart contract and one person pulls a rug pull or walks away or decides to screw the other one, There's not a lot that you can do. So you have to be careful. Uh, In terms of the future of DeFi, um, a lot of people believe it is early in its evolution. It's, It's still riddled with a lot of problems, honestly. Hacks and scams are still somewhat rampant, but Current laws are starting to be crafted on the idea of separate judicial financial jurisdictions. Um, And this means some regulation, sets of laws and rules that can start to govern this. We saw the Joe Biden executive order come out earlier this year, which was calling, you know, for more regulation, but also possibly for a digital currency within the U.S. This was actually seen as a really exciting moment for a lot of people that are that agree with crypto because, you know, even though it means that it's less of a Wild West, it also means that it's less of a Wild West. Crypto might actually be here to stay. So a financial crime that can occur across borders, I mean, this is the question now. Who's enforcing regulations? Who is the actual legal entity that's going to lock somebody up if they screw somebody else. That's the biggest area where DeFi is still working. DeFi is also working, like most of crypto, um, on reducing its energy consumption. Um, System stability is a big deal, and a lot of systems are moving now from proof of work to proof of state. Energy requirements, you know, carbon footprint, that's a big deal. And so all of these questions like regulation, like energy consumption, like fraud, they have to be considered before DeFi can really enter its heyday. But at this point, it does seem that some version of DeFi is going to succeed, probably in a big way as banks and corporations adopt more and more ways into the system. So it's worth a look. This is Bite Size Crypto. Hi, and welcome to Bite Size Crypto, where we are by women for women in crypto and Web3. Today we're talking to Ellie Farisi. She's the co-founder and CTO of Bello. Bello is a Web3 analytics platform that empowers creators through actionable insights. Hi Ellie, welcome to the show. Hey, it's so good to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing great. We're having a crazy awesome day talking to lots of LA friends and you're in LA right now, right?
1: I am. I'm out in Santa Monica for uh, a sixteen Z's crypto startup school. So I'm a part of accelerator out here that's in person for about three months. So prior to that, I've kind of been nomading for almost a year or so. So I've been bouncing around a ton. Used to live in LA, um, but not this close to the beach. So it's definitely really nice to be like can run to the beach every morning. Uh, it's been it's been really nice being out here.
0: Oh, that's awesome. You you seem to be in very high demand exciting uh, <laughs> and, and tell me um first before we talk bello how did you get into web3 at all yeah so uh you i guess it was a
1: slower start i i got first Exposure to crypto and Bitcoin. I remember in my math building in like 2017 when I was like a freshman or sophomore, just hearing a bunch of people talk about like this thing called Bitcoin. And I was just like, Oh, it's going up, blah, 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 but didn't pay too much attention. I just remember like hearing about it a little bit. Um, and then I was actually taking, um, so I, I went to school for computer science and, uh, I was taking this class up on emerging technologies and Throughout the semester, we got to choose a pro- like a type of technology that we wanted to focus on and write a research paper and everything. And I remember we had like a brief class about blockchain. And I was like, wow, was super fascinated by it. So I did a whole semester-long research about blockchain technology, distributed ledgers, et cetera. Um, and at the time, I was still more like focused on working in like the Web2 software engineering role- world. So uh, my first role out of college was actually working for uh, NBC Universal out in Los Angeles where oh, I was supporting wow. the backend infrastructure, yeah, for like Peacock and sort of how the whole content delivery worked there. Um, and also, I guess like this, the other side of me, uh, the non-engineering side is like a, a music lover, a pa- like passionate about working and being involved with creators in that way. And I, in college was really like a big advocate to like helping musicians. And so I actually started doing music management. I would like run a little local venue and when I moved out to LA, it was during COVID, and I wanted to bring that same energy from the East Coast out to, to the West Coast where where I was living, and uh, started this little music collective called Radio House, where I just like supported artists during COVID and everything. And through that, had a podcast myself where I ended up interviewing all types of different inter- inter- individuals in the music industry, and ended up interviewing uh, a friend of mine who is the founder of Catalog, a music NFT marketplace. And this was back in 2020, and he told me about NFTs and sort of what, what it could do for the music world. And immediately I just, I got it, you know, like it was like all the light bulbs going off. I was like, oh, I understand the problems of the music world. I understand the technology and how it could work from an engineering side. Like this makes sense. This is what I want to be doing. Um, and eventually, yeah, I left left NBC to work full-time in, in crypto.
0: Oh, well, that's amazing. Um, when you uh, entered crypto, uh, it, you know, was it, uh, did you feel like you you had to kind of learn on your feet or did you feel like you went in with a pretty solid tool set?
1: So, from the engineering side, I I remember right after that conversation with Jeremy, the founder of Catalog, I was like, okay, how do I? What do I do? What how do I get involved? How do I learn? And so he sent me like um, this Austin Griffith Solidity course thing, or like uh, to start your own like learning Solidity. I did a few Eth Global hackathons. Um, I remember the first one I did virtually, and I started working with a project like part time outside of NBC at the time, and then I just started like absorbing as much as I could. And I remember I had the opportunity through the program I was at with NBC to actually pitch to Universal Theme Park, this like idea that I had around NFTs in Universal Theme Park and like gamification of assets. And at the time I was just like the crazy crypto person. Like I just wouldn't shut up about NFTs. Um And then a year later, like it was like last year, this time I was in Berlin and they actually emailed me like, Hey, this patent's getting pushed forward for approval. Like basically the world was finally catching up. Um And so at that early stage, it was like, okay, how do I learn the engineering side? Uh, But then there's also just like so many like projects and things to learn about. And I actually funnily remember like uh, a friend of mine and I were like both getting into crypto. And I remember every single week, like I just, I love like being a student and having a student mindset. So I like set a goal for myself for like every week I would pick a different like L1 or L2 chain. And just like that whole week, anything I was listening to, um, I would always listen to about that project. Anything I was reading, I tried to read articles about it or like Listen to podcasts about it or whatever it was to just absorb early early on as much as I could, honestly. And it was a fun way to to get a big exposure to a lot of different um, niches.
0: I, I love that, and you know, I I often kind of just mention to my friends, um, they're like, everything sounds like gobbledygook. I'm like, just lean in, just like keep listening, <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's eventually. We'll all like land but just don't stop listening keep listening <laughs> totally so, um yeah it, you know it eventually it's like learning a new language it eventually makes sense so tell us about bello yeah so so my
1: first i guess prior to that my first web3 role was actually joining a another analytics company focused on uh social data in crypto and sort of tracking the comparison of social data and I think through that, that job, I got a really like a strong passion for way data visualization and way to actually take like all this complex information out there and make it, you know, break it down in, in a nice, appealing way for, for people based on their needs. Um, and so today now I am the co-founder and CTO of Bello. Um, Bello is a, is an analytics platform supporting artists and creators in web three. Um, the main goal of Bello is basically taking all of this blockchain data, all of this like super convoluted and kind of intimidating information that is out there and giving creators the right in which they like the, the right to their own data which they should have had from the very beginning mm-hmm. um and i think you know my experience working in the music world i've seen how much much gated the information that actually belongs to creators that they have like if you go on your spotify artist page you only get really so many metrics um where for us blockchain data is out there and you know prior to to bello the only reason way that a creator could go and get it is if they like knew how to write SQL or knew how to code to be able to go query the blockchain. And it was not simple. It was not intuitive. And what we're trying to do is like remove that barrier completely, make this something that anyone can go on just through human characters, search their NFT project and learn like all these really fascinating metrics and things about their community.
0: That's amazing. So I hear you guys are working with A16Z. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. So, um, Bello was selected as one of the 26 teams to join A16Zs. Uh, I think it's technically their second round, although their first round was in during COVID, so it was a little bit different. It's the first in-person cohort that they're doing um, with, yeah, I think there was about 8,000 teams that applied, 26 teams selected. Um, And so the program kind of involves, yeah, three months in person in Santa Monica, where we're working really, really closely with everyone at A16Z, um, learning a ton, getting to hear great lectures from like some of the most OG people in the space, whether that's Brian Armstrong, uh, founder and CEO of Coinbase, or Anatoly Yugovenko, founder and CEO of Solana, to like every person building the protocol layers, the engineering side of this, the legal side of, of crypto, like kind of every, the whole spectrum from what you could think, as well as an, like looking at it from implementing, like for us, how do we actually build this a, a company in Web3? Like what is different between building a Web2 startup and a Web3 startup? Um, how do we think about business models, go-to-market strategies? And sort of all of these different methods of decentralization, if that's what our company needs to go to. So it's been a a very rewarding and fulfilling opportunity just to get to network with people, to get to just poke the brains of these expert people. Like so often, I feel, you know, tremendously grateful for the opportunity to be able to be out
0: here with them. It's so much alpha. I mean, my gosh, (laughs) you just mentioned, is it overwhelming? Is uh, Is it almost too much sometimes? I wonder.
1: I think I think that the biggest transition was which was difficult for me was that the, the like 5 months prior to coming to LA I was staying in like I said I've been kind of nomading so I was hopping between like the mountains in Boise Idaho to like Tulum Mexico and I was like just very much like spending every morning I'd wake up go to the gym and then from morning to night was just coding and oh. I spent a lot of time alone I spent a lot of time just like in my zone in my flow uh kind of just rocking on that 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 sort of, uh, in that wave. And so for me, it was a definitely a different transition, just even having one, like the first day I remember just being like exhausted by the end of it. I was like, Oh wow. Just like so much talking to people so much, just like running around in person, etc. that I think I just wasn't used to. And so the first like few weeks, I think we're a little different to get, to get like accustomed with just understanding how it all works. But, um, now I, I don't know. I think, I think now it, it feels it feels d- definitely very solid. It's not every single day. We're only doing like two full days a week that are like a little bit more jam-packed, but there's also free time in there. So um, I think I think it's definitely something that now I'm going to like miss a ton when it's over. And I'd be like, oh, we're not going to the office. Like, it's here. <laughs>
0: You know. <laughs> uh, no I think it's awesome and I have to say just personally as a woman in tech right there's there were never a lot of women but in web three it seems like there's even less women um you know I was at consensus last year and there was like a line of men out the bathroom and like two I women it. and <laughs> ladies and like, oh. it's like the one the one time that you
1: see that I remember I seeing that at Denver too and I was like never anywhere else in the world do you see do you see the, the opposite yeah. switch like that
0: and so many um, and they're all wearing like sequin sweatpants.
1: <laughs> like, I think one of the one of the coolest things that I've actually experienced with the the accelerator is that like up at, up until that point I hadn't really met other female CTOs and like other many other women engineers in in web3 and one of the coolest things about CSS is there's at least two other female CTOs and then I know there's at least one other that's she's I think she's a CEO but she's technical um mm-hmm. which I was just like I remember the one day we were like all sitting around. I was like, this is so cool. Like the fact that we all just get to talk about the things that we're building and like these women are so smart. I mean, everyone in the program, male, female, whoever, but it, it is uh, it is very incredible to see for sure.
0: Well, I, I am so happy we got to talk to you today. And um, last question, uh, how do we reach you and help you and be part of the awesomeness that you are creating? <laughs> Thank you. Um, most
1: actively, I'm on Twitter. You can uh, follow me at Ellie Farisi. That's E-L-L-I-E-F-A-R-R-I-S-I. Um, I'll be on there most of the time. DM me. I go through waves with Twitter where I'm like super active. And then I just like don't do anything for a little bit. But I mean, if I'm not tweeting, it's because I'm like just down, heads down working. Um, and then my company is called Bello. Uh, you can join our waitlist. Uh, you can check us out at bello.lol. Uh, and then if you want to join our waitlist, it's bello.lol slash join. Um, and we'll definitely, if you want to get off the waitlist early, DM me personally on Twitter and I'd be happy to help. Um, but if not, definitely follow Bello on Twitter when we launch our public version. Uh, Bello's Twitter is Bello Sites, B-E-L-L-O-S-I-G-H-T-S. So uh, definitely check out both of those.
0: Oh, and thank you, Ellie. We will. And thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you. So this is the part of the show called "Totally Weird." We bring out a fun fact that's totally weird, and we talk about it. Today's totally weird fact is that the CEO of Cameo, which we all know uh, for hiring uh, celebrities to sing birthday videos to our sisters, the CEO of Cameo just fell victim to the latest board ape heist, um, and he is not the only one. There have been many different high-profile people targeted in some of these crypto hacks recently, Um, but this one is interesting because it's a creator, so I thought I would put it on the show. So Stephen Galanis, uh, CEO of the platform Cameo, um, reported that he had his Apple ID hacked, and as a result, he lost a chunk of NFTs. I feel for him because, I mean... I don't have NFTs that are high value, but if somebody took a few of them, they're kind of sentimental to me. Um, unfortunately, his portfolio had a board ape. <laughs> he bought it for nearly 320000 in January, and it was uh, taken. It was taken for 130000 which is massively, massively undervalued. So he tweeted about this. Um, there was a bot that reported the NFT being resold, and uh, Galanis tweeted, about what happened. Um, The alleged thief grabbed it, flipped it to a new owner for 77 Ethereum, uh, which is, again, $130,000 or so. He lost a few other assets as well. Um, He lost some other site tokens. Uh, He lost some ApeCoin cryptocurrency tokens, apparently over $60,000 of that. Um, OpenSea's gone in. They've frozen the ape in question. They've prevented the new owner from selling it. But the problem is, once these things are hacked and resold, it's unclear who actually owns it. Uh, the exact hack mechanics aren't clear. Uh, we don't know exactly how it was done. Um, but you do have to be very, very careful. Hacks on Discord that are asking you to drop your wallet address or want you to sign up on a site could possibly be leading you to a fake phishing site. Um, some people are speculating as well that maybe this was about the seed phrase being visible. So if you have a seed phrase for your wallet, Oh my goodness, do not put it in your notes or your memos or a Word document on your computer. It will be on the cloud and accessible. Uh, People will put together a bot that is based on the structure of a seed password, and they'll just scan your computer for anything that looks like a seed password. If they find it, they can get into your account. Uh, Galanis is not the only one that's been hacked. Uh, Seth Green had an ape stolen. He actually purchased it back. For three hundred thousand dollars, basically is ape was held for ransom. Uh, hackers stole over a million in tokens as well. Um, you know, compromising the Board Ape Yacht Club Instagram account a little while ago, and theoretically, you can see these accounts, but you can't really you can't really flip them because they are, in the end, transactions on the ledger. Um, But if Galanus wants his ape back, unfortunately, he might have to arrange for a transfer and he might have to pay a ransom, which is wild. This is Bite Size Crypto.